Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today we are joined by Victor Peretti and Rob Newby from DEP's Division of Water Monitoring and Standards and Division of Science, Research, and Environmental Health. They are here to talk with us about freshwater cyanobacterial harmful algal blooms, better known as cyano-HABs. Cyanobacteria are naturally present in lakes and streams in low numbers. However, under suitable environmental condition, they can form dense blooms, which can pose a hazard to fish, wildlife, and even human beings. So we are glad to have both of them here today to share some information about these naturally occurring uh, blooms and how they occur, some of the background, and what people can do to make sure that there are those blooms present for a little while in a water body near them that they avoid contact with it. So gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having us. Vic, let me start with you. What, what are harmful algal blooms or HABs and how do they differ kind of from the regular green algae you sometimes see in a water body? Harmful algal blooms are actually not algae, they're a bacteria, they're called cyanobacteria, and they mimic algae because they have chlorophyll pigment in their cells and they perform photosynthesis like an algae. What makes them different is that they produce toxins which can be harmful to humans and animals. So why do they produce these toxins? Is it a defense mechanism or just part of their biology? So the toxin actually is part of their biology. The theory behind it is is that they use these toxins as part of their way of acquiring some nutrients. So the toxins can either be released from the cell or can be kept inside the cell. So when you say they use it to get nutrients, what, what do they do? Nutrients are floating around and they kind of hit it with a toxin and then it dies well, they, and they, they can eat it? Or they, what? Will, they will uh, incorporate like nitrogen or phosphorus or sulfur into these compounds. Oh, okay. An interesting little critter, I guess. Very interesting. Microscopic individually? Yes. But together, they can make for quite a mass. Yes. So if you, when you see one of these masses on a lake, and they can be pretty big, it, it must have billions of these little things together. It really depends on the species. Mm -hmm. So there are three different types that we sort of categorize. There are filamentous, so those are the most common type that we've seen so far in New Jersey. Anabena is the type that we've seen so far. Those are filamentous, so they are unicellular, but they grow together as sort of chains. There are unicellular, which are individuals, as well as colonial, which are the type that I believe, Bob, that you're referring to, where they can kind of congregate together and they can grow as very large congregates. Mm. Yeah, it looks like a rave or something going Correct. on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are they widespread here in New Jersey or throughout the nation? How, how frequently are they found and where are they found? EPA states that the, there's a widespread agreement in the scientific community that they are increasing in occurrences nationwide and throughout the world. In New Jersey, since we've released our recreational hab strategy, 
And of course, we've had more reports than previous years, but right now we don't know if that's because of more awareness or because of more occurrences throughout the state. What's important is that we're monitoring this now. You know, we'll know in time whether there is an increased occurrence within the state. And are there any theories as to why they seem to be increasing in frequency and, and uh, why they seem to be more widespread than we've known in the past? It's usually due to human factors. Increased nutrient loads from stormwater runoff is a, is a major factor. Is nitrogen Failing. particularly one of those nutrients that really feeds them? Nitrogen is one. Phosphorus is the factor that allows them to grow, allows any algae to grow. And what makes the uh, cyanobacteria outcompete like your normal green algae is the nitrogen. They could use the phosphorus and also use the little trace amounts of nitrogen in the water to outcompete green algae. And the nitrogen and phosphorus generally get in the water through runoff from fertilizers. Is that correct? That could be one avenue, septic, failing septics. Could be waterfowl such as geese that can introduce nutrients into the water. This brings up the whole point of non-point source pollution, which is when things are introduced into the water body through runoff, they may be a mile away. You know, somebody may have fertilized their lawn just before it rained, and the fertilizer gets washed into the storm drain. Or they may have changed the oil in their car in the driveway, and some of the oil dripped, and that gets rained and put into the storm sewer systems, which eventually make their way to rivers, lakes, and streams and cause this non-point source pollution. I was interested to learn some years ago that uh, this was in the early 2000s, that every nine months, as much oil is introduced into America's coastal waters through non-point source pollution as was spilled in the Exxon Valdez. So that's, that's kind of a, a sobering thing. And certainly here at DEP, we are uh, very focused on non-point source pollution. The commissioner and the governor just announced recently plans to address non-point source pollution in Barnegat Bay. But having gone off on that tangent, let's come back to the subject at hand. And those are the HABs. Now, how do you identify these HABs when they're in the water? Do you, can you tell just by sight or do you have to take some sort of microscopic examination or how's that done? Well, well by sight, they're called blue-green algae because of what they look like from just general visual observations. They could be bright, very bright green, like a neon green color, Traditionally, they could look like spilled blue paint. We have gotten calls that of a paint spill and it turned out to be a cyanobacteria. Having said that, if you see something like that, you know, what we want to stress throughout this and throughout our strategy that we release is, you know, if you see it, avoid it and report it. So that's the first step. If we do get a report, we will take samples to analyze it microscopically and I'll let Rob take over from there. Yeah, Rob, tell us about the microscopic analysis of these animals. Sure, sure, sure. Like I had said, so uh, following a collection, the second thing that we'll do is, is we will try to identify the species. The species that we've seen most common in New Jersey is Anabena, followed then by Microcystis. And if you've seen the news, Microcystis is one of the most common species that have plagued the United States. Microcystis was the species that caused the issue in Lake Erie. So that was the species of problem that caused the harmful algal bloom in 2015. What was that? Uh, what happened to Lake Erie? So 2015, the system in Toledo, Ohio, where the toxin uh, microsystem was found in the drinking water. For 10 days, I believe, the entire system was completely shut down. So the residents were unable to consume, bathe, or recreate in the Great Lakes. 
in the Toledo area that caused a uh, huge issue. And then following from that point on, there was another issue in more recent times from uh, Lake Okeechobee, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another issue where Microcystis was another big problematic species. So Microcystis is another species that we find in New Jersey. And uh, Rob pointed out about the drinking water concerns. Our strategy for responding and monitoring really deal with recreational water bodies. If there are concerns with actual finished drinking water, the New Jersey Geological and Water Survey handle drinking water concerns. They have their own emergency response plan for any kind of toxins in drinking water, including those caused by cyanobacteria. We haven't had any of those problems with our drinking water in New Jersey, have we? Not that I'm aware of, no. No, no, I, no. We probably would have heard about it if we yeah, had. I think so. Yeah, so that's a, that's a good sign. So what makes these things harmful? They're, they're really tiny, microscopic creatures, so you know each one must not have a lot of toxin. I guess it's the volume of them that you can ingest. Are they harmful on contact? You have to drink them. What is the method by which the toxins are delivered, uh, for instance, to animals? So it's a, it's a bit of both. So not every cell makes toxin, and it's not every species that can make toxin will make toxin. So it's a, it's a bit of a, a multi-step problem. So just because a species that's known to make toxin is present doesn't mean that it will make toxin. So one of the things that we, we look for is we look for if the species is present, we look for is the toxin present. And we'll continually monitor to see if toxin does eventually show up. So one of the things that we, we always advise that even if toxin isn't present, there still is the risk that coming in contact with the cells can cause an issue uh, contact dermatitis. So you can have skin rashes. If you ingest the cells, you can have issues where you have gastrointestinal distress. So there have been issues and cases of that reported around the country where people who have uh, consumed cells that have not been producing toxins have gotten sick from consuming bacteria. So just because the cells aren't making toxin that we can detect doesn't mean that they're perfectly safe. So it's best if you see one of these blooms, even if you, you suspect it may be a HAB and don't know for certain, it's best to avoid. Right. Avoid it, report it to us. And like Rob, Rob was saying, one of the greatest risks is, is ingestion. And because we're dealing with recreational water bodies, you want to pay close attention to you know, your pets. Even though there's a warning advisory not to swim, make, have your pet be contact. You, know, you want to make sure they don't drink the water. But you want to exercise even greater caution because if they swim in the water, they could lick the lick their fur, mm-hmm. ingest the algae that way. You know, dogs have a habit of you know sniffing around and eating things off of the shoreline. They could eat some of the cyanobacteria that may have washed up in clumps. So you want to be extra cautious with your pets. Let me ask you: Are these uh, habs, these harmful algal blooms, found in fresh and salt water, or just in fresh water? Yeah, they are. They are found in both. Are strategy is just for freshwater recreational water bodies. They're, they're mainly found in freshwater. There are some species that are in marine water. Um, I don't think they have the same contact effects as we're talking about with freshwater. It's, it's more of a concern if, uh, because they're consumed by the shellfish, and when you eat the shellfish, you can become sick by that route. And we spoke about shellfish. Uh, one should not eat shellfish that were harvested from an area where there's an algal bloom 
What about regular fish? If you're in a lake fishing and, and there's an algal bloom discovered in that lake, what's the best thing you should do with respect to any fish you might catch? If you suspect that there's a harmful algal bloom in a lake that you're fishing at, you should definitely not eat the fish. There's not a lot of evidence uh, one way or the other about the harm in eating a fish that's in contact with a harmful algal bloom, but it's best to avoid consuming any fish during a bloom. Well, that's good to know, and I'm sure the fish will be glad to know that if they are caught in a, in a water body that has an algal bloom, you should just put them back. Exactly. Catch and release. Absolutely. So if you find in, uh, one of these HABs, one of these harmful algal blooms, what is, can be done to treat the water where it is present, or do they eventually just kind of go away on their own? So our recommendation is to let the HAB resolve itself. Treatment may cause the cells to rapidly lyse. If the cells rapidly lyse, then you may release the toxin at a, a large amount into the water. So what does that mean, rapidly lyse? So treatment will cause the cells to die. Mm -hmm. If the cells die, they will break open. If they break open, any toxin that's inside of them will be released into the water. Oh, so so they, treating it could actually make the situation worse. Right. Yeah. But they do tend to resolve themselves in how long? A couple days, a couple hours? It can greatly depend. So the the Lake Erie situation that I had mentioned before, that had taken around 10 days to resolve. Some of the blooms that we see in New Jersey, they can resolve anywhere between a couple of days to a couple of weeks. There have been cases where blooms have been reported and then they resolve within hours. It, it, there's so many variables that it's hard to really tell. So it really does depend. It depends on the water body to dictate how long the bloom will, will last. So does it depend on certain conditions that cause them to dissipate, if you will, or how does that happen? As far as causing them to dissipate, usually uh, what causes the blooms are shallow, warm water, high nutrient content. As the bloom continues, they, they use up the nutrients, whatever's in the water. So once the nutrients are exhausted, the, the bloom dies off naturally. So it's kind of if, as if you went to an all-you-eat buffet, and when the buffet is empty, it's time to go. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we've been advising those owners, whether it be a data water body, privately owned, to if they had a bloom, to continue the you know, surveillance because if there's a source, non-point source that's contributing more nutrients, there's a likelihood it could happen again. You know, reoccur throughout the year. So you urge them to kind of keep an eye on it throughout the the warm weather. Do they can they happen in cold weather, or are they pretty much a warm weather sort of thing? They're pretty much a warm weather sort of thing. But there have been cases where there have been some cold weather habs, but they're, they're pretty infrequent. Mm. And most people aren't swimming in cold lake water anyway in right, cold correct, weather, so right. it would be less of a concern. Now, we mentioned earlier that if people see a suspected hab, they should report it here to DEP. We do have that reporting information, the contact information, on the description of this podcast, but could you share with us kind of what the links are or are there phone numbers that people can call? And then just take us through kind of when you get a call, all the steps that you take to address the situation. You mentioned okay. the testing, but I'm sure there's stuff after the testing. So the first step is to call our hotline. It's one eight seven seven warn dep either by phone or through the app. The hotline contacts us and we respond. We'll contact, we'll determine whether it's a drinking water source, recreation, bathing beach, see what the potential risk is, and then we'll contact local entities. If it's a county-owned water body, we'll contact the county health departments. If it's a um, privately owned water body, we'll try to contact the owners of the property. 
and try to assess the situation. Mm -hmm. We'll respond by sending samplers out to collect the sample, confirm whether it is indeed a HAB. Uh, we've gotten about, I'd say about 30% of the reports we received so far are turn out not to be HABs. But that means 70% are. Right, yeah. exactly. So you know, we make that determine. Once we collect the sample, we confirm whether it truly is a HAB. There's a division of science, research, environmental health, which Rob is a part of. They develop risk thresholds for human health. If the analysis determines that the either the toxin level or the density of the cells are above those risk thresholds, we recommend that advisories be posted at the water body. And if someone does come in contact with a HAB inadvertently, or, or maybe they were in the water before it was checked to see that it is a HAB, what steps can they take to protect their own health or the health of their pets? If they come in contact with a HAB, they should you know, wash themselves off, wash their hands, wash any part of their body they were in contact with, wash their clothes. If they start to have any symptoms, a rash or um, you know, flu-like symptoms, they should you know, immediately contact their physician to, to follow up. Same thing with pets and animals. You, know, you want to make sure if, a, if a, like say, a dog is swimming in the a water body infected by a HAB, they should you, know, you should shampoo the dog so they're not licking themselves and possibly ingesting the uh, cyanobacteria. Good. Well, that's good to know. Where can folks go to get more information about these HABs? This is still kind of a kind of a new thing, and a lot of people are not yet familiar with it. Although these HABs have attracted. A lot of attention since DEP started posting information about them, which has been a real public service to, to folks. So where can people go and get more information about these HABs? So our Division of Water Monitoring Standards website has a now has a HABs page that has several components. The actual response strategy is on our website. Technical fact sheets, general fact sheets, depending on you know how much information you really want about a HAB. Also is uh, information on how to report a HAB is on our website. In addition to reporting it to the hotline, we do have a HAB reporting form if um, uh, someone wishes to complete that. It has more comprehensive in information and we could respond in a better way. We also have advisory information, wording. We have posters available for you know, county entities, municipal entities, and even private entities that might have a bathing beach that they would like to post signs, we have them available for use. So there's a wealth of information available, yes. and we have the links to these sites as well as the phone number for Warren DEP on the description of this podcast. Rob, I want to ask you the one thing that kind of sticks in my mind here is, is how this really shows how our knowledge about the environment and science is, is constantly changing. Things that maybe we weren't paying much attention to in the past all of a sudden become a matter of interest. And our scientists here at DEP are constantly looking for those sorts of things in the environment that could pose a threat and doing new research into it. And this is one of those areas where a lot of new research has been done. Yeah, definitely. It's an evolving science. So for a while, there, there was really no big push to innovate and to explore the area of HAB science. And, you know, over the last five, five, ten years, it's been a big push. A lot of people in the science community have been saying, we need to be looking at this. And now, you know, everyone's sort of like looking now because we're, we're starting to see globally that this is an increasing, increasing phenomenon. And you know now the question is in New Jersey are we seeing the same sort of frequency, and you know we don't have enough you know to sort of say is it is it increasing yes but we're we're on our on our best to figure it out. 
And I think it's great to know that here at DEP, that when new things do come up that we need to know about, that we've got the expert personnel, some of the best people in the country and the world, really, who can dive into these situations and find out what's going on. And more often than not, we find that we're a national and often an international leader in, in terms of discovering these sorts of things. So I think that while there's no doubt we know a lot about the environment and different uh, hazards in the environment, we also have a lot to learn still. So people who are uh, considering pursuing careers in science, you don't have to worry. It's not like everything's been discovered already. There's still plenty left to learn. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. So that's great. Well, I want to thank both uh, Victor Peretti and Rob Newby for being here today, taking time out of their schedules to be with us to talk about harmful algal blooms. It is something that has only recently come up to public attention, but it's good to know that the work is going in to keep people safe from coming in contact with these HABs and perhaps getting sick or their pets getting sick or, or other wildlife. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share this information with us. I urge everyone to visit the sites that are on the description of this podcast where they can learn more about harmful algal blooms, how to recognize them, how to report one if you suspect there's one, and how to keep you and your pets safe from any harm should there be one in a water body that you like to frequent. So gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.